Hey guys, it's an honor to be able to share the Word of God with you guys today. Um, but I do have a question for you guys, so if I ask you a question, don't feel shy. And if I call on you, I'm telling you, just don't feel shy. Um, what type of people do you admire? Think about it for a second. What type of people do you admire? Anyone want to not be called on? Anyone who has an answer? What type of person or people? Brett, thank you. People that are true to their convictions. That's good. Well, these are the type of people I admire. Um, you're going to see a couple of faces up here. Uh, Vice Admiral Holdo, anyone? Yeah? No? Okay, thank you. Uh, uh, what's his name? Sorry. Dr. Robert Neville. <laughs> Sorry. Will Smith. How about that? <laughs> Dr. Robert Neville. His character was Dr. Robert Neville. Um, Honduran soldiers, or soldiers in general, and Martin Luther King. So these are the type of people I admire. So some obviously a little bit more deeper than others, and others are more over-the-surface admiration. But the type of people I admire are people that actually die for a cause. Um, no matter how ridiculous some other people may think a cause is, I just admire people's ability to die for something um, and to give their lives over to something. So... I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen The Last Jedi or I Am Legend. I'm sorry, I completely spoiled it for you. I won't tell you how they die. You can figure that out on your own. But I will say, soldiers, uh, people who enter the military, uh, who give their lives over to a cause for a people, for a country, for the rights of others. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King, who caused so much of a paradigm shift within culture that he created enemies as a result and it cost his life. But one of the things that Dr. Martin Luther King said was in his speech, before the victory is won, some may even have to face physical death. We must come to see that there are some things so eternally true that they are worth dying for. And if a man has not discovered something worth dying for, he ain't fit to live. When we look at Jesus' followers, we see so many of them that faced death. We see Stephen who was stoned to death. We see John the Baptist who was beheaded. And we see Peter who was hung on an upside down cross. But my question was more of how? How did these people know that their causes were worth dying for? So I'm here to talk to you about Peter actually. Um, and the way that Peter taught me um, so much about myself at a time when I thought the gospel was not worth dying for. But before I get there, um, why don't you guys open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 36. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 36. And it says... Then he called to the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Pray with me. God, I come before you. God, I need you. God, we need you. And I know you're in control. I ask that you may take my words 
and that you may allow for seeds to be planted or allow for watering to happen. God, you're in control. You're in control of this space, of this room of our lives, and in that we'll trust. <clears throat> we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. So when we look back on Peter's life, um, and as we're applying what Jesus just said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, how does Peter do this? Um, so if we look back on Luke chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 11, you guys can read that on your own. We first see when Jesus first called Peter, when he first calls him to follow him. And uh, long story short, this is going to be completely abbreviated, the shortened version, the Stephanie version, so bear with me. Um, Peter's on a boat, and Jesus is teaching on Peter's boat. And uh, then Jesus tells Peter, hey, throw out your nets and catch some fish for us. And, and Peter had just fished the night before, and they caught nothing. And so Peter's like, what? I, I just fished, and you want me to go? You know what? I'll do it. I'll do it. So he goes, and the boat starts to sink. Um, and in that moment, Peter realizes, oh my goodness, this is, this is a man worth following. This is a man worth following. And so from then on, Peter starts following Jesus. Later on in the story of Peter, Jesus even changes Peter's name. So Peter's no longer, um, his name used to be Simon. Uh, his name then becomes Cephas, which means Peter. And the meaning of Cephas was rock. So Jesus changed the meaning of Peter's name to represent a promise. So not only did Peter leave everything he had behind, his career, um, the people he loved, he left his name behind and took on a whole new meaning. So if that does not show you that Peter was following Jesus, let's see how he takes up his cross. Um, Peter follows Jesus into this unknown space. And a great example of that is when we look in Matt chapter 14, or sorry, Matthew chapter 14, verses 28 through 30. All of us know the story of Peter walking on water. And a little bit of the background to that was Jesus was praying on a mountain, and uh, he sees his disciples on the water, and, and they're quite a bit of ways. And he's like, you know, Jesus does what Jesus does best and decides to catch up to them by walking on water, because why not, right? So there he goes, walking on water, and his disciples were scared, uh, except for Peter, who says, you know, if it's you, let me walk towards you. Um, and of course, Peter knew it was Jesus. So then Peter starts walking on water towards Jesus into this unknown space, you know, never done this before. Um, and then we have an amazing story of doubt that Peter had in the midst of Jesus being right there in front of Peter, and Jesus has to rescue Peter. Um, and he serves as an example for us. And so we're thankful for the fact that he doubted because he, I'm sure we can apply that to our own lives today. Um, but not only that, we see that Peter is the first to recognize that Jesus was the Messiah. He recognized that this was not only someone worth following. It wasn't not only someone worth going into the unknown for. He was something more than that. He was the Messiah. So he followed Jesus, and he takes up his cross, and he denies himself. And it looks like he's denying himself. He denies himself in leaving everything behind. He denies himself in the presence of fear when he should have been more fearful, when he should have actually not even said, Jesus, let me walk towards you on this water. Um, it seems as if he knew that Jesus was in control. And he finds himself saying in Luke chapter 22, 23, Lord, 
I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. It seems as if Peter had found someone worth dying for. But then let's take a look at what happens on the eve of Jesus' crucifixion um, in Luke chapter 22. So why don't you guys open up your Bibles or scroll through your phones to Luke chapter 22, verses 54 through 62. And that says, Then seizing him, they led him away. And this was Jesus. They had seized Jesus. And took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. 59. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Have you ever told someone that they responded to something way better than you would have? So what about this situation? How would you have responded? Did Peter respond way better than you would have in that moment? Or consider this. When have you too denied Jesus in the midst of his gaze on you? Let me answer that question for you. I denied Jesus the summer of 2018. Um, I'd been honored actually at, for an internship here at Sterling. Um, I had gotten this internship. I was super excited about it. I was going to be working with a Presbyter uh, three Presbyterian churches, um, a child advocacy center, and two attorneys and a judge. So it was a big package. Everything was paid for. Um, I felt strong in my faith. I knew it was going to be a really dark, dark journey um, just because of the cases we were going to take on, but I was ready. I was like, Lord, you opened this door, and of the places that had been offered, I chose Southwest Kansas. So I was excited. So the moment I start this internship, I'm you know, ready. I'm hearing all these things, and slowly I start realizing, oh, my gosh, Okay, this is kind of dark. This is a little bit dark. We're talking about abuse here. Okay, okay. And then they start telling me, okay, Stephanie, can you translate um, in, in English what these children are Spanish for us? And I was like, okay, or, okay, I think I could do that. So I'm sitting down in these interviews, <clears throat> and I'm translating all these abuse stories over to the interview, the investigator. And they're like, okay, Stephanie, this is week two, by the way. Um, Week two of eight. And then the, at the end of week two, they're like, all right, we're going to start an abuse trial. You're going to sit down with the prosecutor. You're going to be able to shadow her and uh, see the process and be there with the victim and um, be able to see how she asks questions, et cetera. 
I was like, oh my gosh, Lord, this is really heavy. This is really, really heavy stuff. Um, and I remember that week, I doubted God's goodness. I remember that. I doubted God's goodness. That's how it started. So we're in on this abuse trial case, and um, unfortunately, it didn't go the way we wanted. Um, the man was released, and uh, I was so heartbroken. By week three, I was in such a dark spot. Um, not only because I was hearing these stories, because I was seeing how many memories it was causing for me. Um, I had seen my story, I had felt what abuse felt like as a child, and then to be put in this spot where, where I was already hearing it from other people and, and realizing, Lord, where's the justice for them? Where are you in the middle of this? Where are you? And I was surrounded by a community of non-believers. So they were saying, Stephanie, we're the ones that do good. We're the ones that make it happen. And look at the justice system. It didn't work the way we wanted it to. Where is God? Where is God? We're here. But where is God? And by week four, I remember saying, then there is no God. Because my God is too soft and too merciful. And he would have done justice. And he did not. The moment I said that, I remember I was going back to a house that was located in the middle of the country. My host family was conveniently gone to another ranch working on some other stuff, and I was all alone. I was in the middle of this dark weight, these dark thoughts that had just inundated me and flooded me, and all I could feel was the heaviness of that moment, the heaviness of knowing there's no God, then what's my purpose? There is no purpose for me then. It was so, so dark. But what do you do? What do you do when you see children being abused, when you can't do anything for them, when all you can think of is say, God, please help them. Please stop that. Please help bring just, justice to these group of people. Please do it. And when you feel as if your prayers go nowhere. And that is where that lie began. I sat in this heavy, heavy, dark spot thinking there was no God. The moment I entered my room, I saw my Bible, and I was so angry. I was so angry. I flung it across the room. I was like, I do not want to believe or touch anything that has anything to do with what I, I used to believe, this false belief I had. And I couldn't think of anything else to do. So I went to sleep with so many tears and so much pain. But the next day, when I woke up, the first thought, you know those moments when you wake up and you have a flood of thoughts that just, you know, completely overtake you? Well, the first thing that came to my mind was Psalm 139. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. That's ridiculous. I'm not going to go and get up from my bed and get the Bible I flung across the room the day before to read Psalm 139. No, I'm crazy because I'm saying no Jesus. And I'm like, wait, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. Like, I can't, I can't be saying that. Um, and I, I laid in bed for a couple hours until I was like, you know what? Okay, I, I'm dying to know what that means. A curiosity just killed me. I didn't think it'd sway me. I was just curious as to why I want Psalm 139. I'd never read it actually before. I'd never read it prior to that. So I was like, okay, here we go. So I get my Bible. Again, so much pain sitting in this dark spot. But I started reading. 
And verse 7 came up. And it said, where, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Surely the darkness will hide me. If I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And the rest of that chapter basically was saying, because you know me. Jesus, because you know me. And so I realized, okay, okay, God, forgive me. I felt shame, just like Peter did as he wept bitterly after Jesus looked at him and he denies him. I felt so much shame for my unbelief. I was like, okay, Lord, forgive me. Um, what do I do now? I just denied you. I, I feel like I've completely rejected you. And how do I come back from this after I'd experienced four weeks of slowly getting into the spot of denial. So I started making a list of all the times I'd seen Jesus work in my life. And I started the moment I accepted him, the moment I said, you are worth following. I remember that. I remember the moment I was able to forgive the people who had wronged me as a child. And it was so freeing. It was so amazing. I remember completely forgiving them and saying, you know what? There's no way I could have done this. There's no way I could have said to you, I forgive you. And yet, why do I feel this amazing love towards you? The times I was able to love people, it's like, God, how? How was I able to do that? And I realized that it was all because of Jesus. And making that list definitely helped me and made me realize, God, thank you. I finished off the rest of my internship and it, and it finished amazing. We got to see so much justice done. And even when we didn't see the things that we wanted to see happen, I realized, God, you're in control of that child. And so I pray for that child. I pray for their upbringing because I was once that child. And you rescued me from that. God was so good. But we, we look at Peter. How did Jesus respond to Peter as his gaze is upon him? And as, his, as Peter is remembering Jesus reminded me that I would deny him. What was uh, Jesus' response to that? Well, let's look at Luke 22, verse 31. Before Peter denies Jesus, this is what Jesus tells Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him. Jesus knew that Peter was still going to deny him. And Jesus still chose to call Peter on the boat that day. Not only did Jesus know that Peter was going to deny him, he decided, even as he knew that, he decided to change his name to represent a promise Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him, and he warns him about his denial. But even in that, Jesus reassures Peter and says, but don't worry. I am fighting for you, and I am with you, 
and I will heal you. And when, and when you've overcome, not if, but when, that promise of you're going to do this, and I've still called you, and I've still decided to rescue you, because he could have let him drown in the middle of the water, but he didn't. But when, he says, but when you've come out of it, go back and strengthen your brothers. So how did Peter know Jesus was worth dying for? Because not only did Jesus heal him and restore him and strengthen him, Jesus called him to go back for the rest of them. He called him to go back for his brothers. How do all these people know causes are worth dying for? How did they know that? Well, because it no longer becomes about them. The moment you allow for Jesus to be magnified in your life, it no longer becomes about you. And then you're able to stand up for your brother. You're able to pursue justice so relentlessly. You're able to become foolish to the world as you look towards others and try to find things that could help them and serve them. But it's only when you die to yourself that you're able to do that. But in the midst of that, following Jesus, taking up your cross, and denying yourself, it's going to cause you to be recognized. You're going to be known. You're going to be seen for following Jesus. And you might be rejected. You may be mocked. But in the midst of that, my sweet friends that are here today, I cannot emphasize enough that he is fighting for you. And whether he's looking at you today, and whether he's looking at you and you're denying him as Peter, or whether he's looking at you and you're lacking faith, or whether he's looking at you and you're in the midst of empowering others, he is fighting for you. And then you will come to recognize that he is the only cause worth dying for. Pray with me. God, thank you. Thank you because you know where we've come from. And God, you are leading us. Your purpose for us is so much greater than we think, God. And God, I ask that this truth may just be stronger and ring stronger for us every day. God, thank you. Thank you because you understand even when no one else does that you don't leave us in the midst of our pit of darkness. You don't leave us there. You rescue us, you heal, and you restore. And God, I ask this for everyone that's in this room. May you remind them that you are healing, that you're strengthening, and that you're restoring. And that you're with them. No matter what comes in this life, that you're walking with them. We thank you, Lord, for these words. And we ask that they may just continue to to sink in within our hearts today. We praise you, and in your name we pray. Amen.